Welcome to This Week in Tech with Gene Destro. Now is your chance to get caught up in all that's happening in technology around Akron and the rest of the world. Now here's your host, Gene Destro. This week, innovative ideas to improve aviation from technology design to customer satisfaction. We'll also be hearing from a mental health expert about internet gaming addiction and what to do if you or someone you know is having problems with it. All this and more coming up. The pandemic has been nothing short of a disaster for the aviation industry. First, there was a steep decline in passengers. Then, many of the passengers who did start traveling again became increasingly unruly and unwilling to comply with mask mandates. Flight attendants have been harassed and physically attacked. And this week, Southwest Airlines canceled thousands of flights without notice. They said it was because of air traffic control issues. The FAA disagreed. Obviously, there's some room for improvement, which, as luck would have it, is exactly the goal of students from all around the country who are getting together for an annual competition at Kent State University the weekend of November 5th. Professor J.R. Campbell tells us their upcoming Skyhack event is about innovation in design, technology, and customer experience. And the goal really is to go beyond just the sort of engineering aspects of aviation, but to think about the larger context and how by building diverse teams of students that come from totally different backgrounds, it gives those teams the ability to see problems differently and come up with possible solutions. So when it comes to improvements in customer experience on an airplane, could that include something like, let's say, improving air filtration systems? Absolutely. Sub-themes that are in the air traveler category definitely are safety, health, service, baggage, you know, check-in, check-out, and, and management processes. It could be any, any number of things that help to, from, from the point of booking to the point of arriving at destination, I think there are a lot of opportunities for thinking about how we can innovate in that process. And so, for instance, uh, during the last Skyhack event, the winning team for the, for the event um, in this category had a member of their team who was a student from Nepal, and he had family members who had had come to visit him and flown in through, I believe it was through the Akron Canton Airport. And, you know, the challenge was that that his relatives were not English speakers, and it wasn't automatic that they had the opportunity to have somebody there who could speak their language and or translate. And so the team that won last year actually developed both a kind of a combination of a, a navigation and translation app that worked in multiple languages and allowed travelers to be able to essentially to quickly translate the signs that they were seeing in different airports. So I came up with one. Remember that story a few weeks ago where you had this unruly passenger and they eventually had to just duct tape him to the chair? <laughs> so my idea is that it's like like Spider-Man, you know, like with the web. Like you could press a button and then this web would come out of the seat. And just... <laughs> Yep. No, that's great. Yeah. So, and, and you bring up a good point. One of the things that we do um, for for the hackathons that we help to host through design innovation, we always expect the teams to actually try to create a prototype, a working prototype that they can demonstrate by the end of the weekend. And so, uh, so you know that that concept would be an awesome one. Uh, and and then we would help to try to you know help the students just try to think about well, how would you actually you know, make that happen. What mechanisms could work? What kind of materials? 
et cetera. And, and so that, I think, is a key to how we're trying to host these events, is that it's really about helping uh, students from any background, any major, get exposure to some tools and possibilities that they maybe otherwise wouldn't have had a chance to learn about. Also this week, there's word about a study on a new type of addiction affecting college students, most often men. CBS correspondent Michael George reports. A group studying addiction found one in five college students who play online games likely has internet gaming disorder. The Journal of Addictions and Offender Counseling says people with the disorder report withdrawal symptoms similar to other addictions, like difficulty concentrating, fatigue, and depression. Researchers hope the study helps mental health professionals better identify internet gaming disorder. We talked about it with University of Akron psychology professor Dr. Tony Bisconti a while back, and here's a clip from that interview. If you look at the brain structures of individuals who need to be gaming versus individuals who need alcohol or drugs, they look very similar when they're going through withdrawal. And that's another kind of component of understanding a behavioral disorder is the withdrawal. And so, you know, the same parts of the brain is being is being impaired. So if I'm a parent and I'm listening to this and I've got kids who are really into gaming, how would I ever be able to tell what's okay and what's not? And then what do I do if it crosses the line and becomes not okay? I think the first thing that you want to do is look at the gaming prior to it becoming an addiction. So right from the start, I think we need to have monitors on our kids' phones, on our kids' iPads, certainly on gaming consoles. So if you look at parents who put controls X amount of time per day, use it as a reward as opposed to, okay, you're bored, you can go game for seven hours, but hey, did you eat? Did you get your homework done? Okay, I'm going to let you have half hour of screen time. You'll see that addiction rates are lower in individuals like that. So even though it may seem harmless, well, they're not purchasing anything, they're not outside getting in trouble, they're not breaking a law, so on and so forth, you really need the control and monitoring right from the start. If that doesn't work, and we've now run into someone that we think might have a problem, and and parents are listening thinking, well, I'm not sure if my kid has a problem, you got to ask yourself those kinds of questions, which is basically... Are they able to dislodge from gaming when they're in social interactions? Do you have times in which they are like needing to game? So even though we're out, we're doing something with the family, they want to go home, they want to game. They're excluding doing family and social activities to go back and do that. The other thing you have to look for is if they need to do it in increasing amounts. So think about it like a chemical addiction, right? If I only needed one cigarette a day for the rest of my life, okay, that's probably not too much of a problem. But if I go from one to two to 10 to a pack, that's a huge problem. If they do it a half hour a day, that's probably not a problem. If they go from a half hour to an hour to two to four to they're not sleeping at night, then there's a whole host of problems. Then let's say we have a parent who has noticed that it has gone from a half hour to two hours to seven hours to 10 hours. Their kids aren't sleeping. Um, I even saw a report, CBS had a clip of a woman 
that said her son had become so immersed in the gaming world that he could not distinguish between the two. He was actually trapped in that world inside of his head, and he had to be hospitalized. So obviously there's a big range from just the kid that likes to do it a lot to the kid who is so immersed he can't take himself out of it. What should parents do if they start to recognize there's a problem. With the World Health Organization moving it into a diagnosable classification, one of the benefits of that is the counselors and clinicians will start to know how to handle it. I think if you get to the point that you are not able to dislodge or recognize reality from fantasy, you probably need some intervention. It's probably more than you as a parent can do. Certainly you could take the game away, but that's probably not going to stop the withdrawal. And so I, I would seek professional help. I would go to a clinician the same way I would if my son was addicted to drugs or alcohol. If it's less than that, so if you just think, okay, two, three hours, it's starting to become a problem, then I think you go back to some parental control, see if you could reduce it, see how the kiddo responds to you reducing it, see if you could have sort of a conversation with them about the time and appropriateness of, of when they're using it and why they're using it. So let's talk then next, maybe final question, what kinds of treatments or therapies or interventions are actually available and would be appropriate to use on perhaps, let's say, a teenager or somebody who's not an adult and they're experiencing this? Would the intervention or treatment be different for kids than for adults? All treatment and intervention is different in terms of addiction for kids than adults because our brains are different. Right. So the, the case that you're talking about, I'm assuming, was an adolescent, right? Yeah, it was a 13 year old that I heard about yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, their brain structures, the reason there's juvenile justice court systems versus adult court systems is because the brain of a child and adolescent isn't that of an adult. So if you're dealing with a 13 year old, that intervention is going to be different because they're still developing. And there you'd want to go to a child psychologist, someone who specializes in behavioral disorders or behavioral addictions. We also talked with Nate Meeker, who's the director of eSports at the University of Akron, and asked him if this is something they look out for, and if so, what kind of resources they have for helping students who have this type of problem. It's definitely something that we're aware of, and it's part of our program at the start to talk with all of the students that are on the varsity teams here about the potential dangers, the potential pitfalls that they might fall into. And we monitor their playtime here on campus uh, pretty heavily to make sure that it's still in line with what we consider to be normal, uh, normal usage for them. Uh, and then outside of that, we also have a variety of different workshops that are set up to, to help them combat this type of thing. On campus, we really treat it very, very similarly to how any other form of addiction is. So. There are resources that are available for them, both within the eSports program and in the traditional programming that we have here on campus to help combat any type of addiction. So how can you tell if somebody has a gaming addiction problem? What kind of behavior might indicate that something's wrong? Sure, it's, it's the same as it would be with, with any traditional addiction. So when they, when they are stopped, when they stop doing their schoolwork or when they stop going to class or 
when they stop doing something else that they enjoy, and then they're, they're simply engaging in that activity. So for us, typically the, the number one sign would be uh, with either their grades or their professors reporting that they're not showing up for class, we may look into it and see if, if gaming addiction is, is really the, the cause of it. Now, for us, to be totally honest, we really don't see too many issues with it at the collegiate level. I think because of the way that we we engage with gaming on campus is not the same way that a lot of people engage in their home. So I think it provides a much more social atmosphere, which really does help alleviate a lot of the, the negative stigma and the negative aspects of gaming in general that, that they may encounter when they're doing it on their own. It sounds like what you're saying is that maybe when kids are younger or just playing at home, they might have a tendency to be more of a lone wolf hanging out just by themselves with their gaming, but that when they're at the university level, they've got more of their friends around and it's more social. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, for sure, because, uh, and it happens at the high school level now, too. We're seeing more high schools in the state of Ohio pick up gaming as part of their curriculum, as part of a sports program, and those connections really help build the positive energy around the program, and I think that really, that helps students stay connected at school, it helps them make progress going forward, it gives them valuable job-based or career-based skills that they can use later, um, and overall, I think, really what it's doing is it's alleviating the, 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 the segregation, the aloneness that gaming may have as opposed to, to other types of addictive, uh, addictive things that folks, that folks do. Like, so, for instance, if they're watching TV or if they're gambling, uh, a lot of these things are done you know, in a group or they're done with, uh, with other friends talking about it. Gaming has traditionally been done on their own, but uh, we're changing that at the high school and the collegiate level to build those, those stronger relationships with, with others who are interested. Have you noticed that the enforced isolation since the beginning of the pandemic has caused more of an uptick in this, at least from your observation? I don't really think it's caused an uptick in it in general. I think really what it has done is it's caused an uptick in media consumption. Uh, therefore, more people are using gaming, more people are consuming streaming services, more people are sitting at home and watching TV, that's naturally going to lead to a higher number of people becoming addicted. I wouldn't say it's a higher percentage, at least from, from my viewpoint. It's more of just a larger number in general because there are now more people doing it. So then what's your best advice for kids, also their parents too, for keeping this kind of activity healthy and fun as opposed to all-consuming and addictive? Sure. So my advice to parents is probably fairly similar to the advice that I have for folks here on campus, uh, with the exception that it, you know it's for their students and maybe themselves or their, their son or daughter and themselves rather than just themselves, which is how we would target it here on campus. And realistically, I think that folks need to look at media consumption as a whole and loop gaming into that as well. So a family may decide that, hey, you know, X number of hours per day or X number of hours per week is acceptable for their son or daughter's, uh, you know, consumption rate. How many hours is probably up for debate, but gaming loops into that. You know, it's not, it's not separate. It's not something that's done on the side. So if, if you're allowing them, 10 hours a week of TV, media, time, gaming should be included with that. It shouldn't be something that's separate. And I think making that distinction uh, can really help. 
and then in addition to that, really providing a dialogue with uh, with your son or daughter, or in our case, the students, about what is healthy gaming, how to have healthy conversations surrounding it. And just like any other activity, it's important to talk to the students or talk to, the, talk to your son or daughter about, you know, what are they engaged in? What are they doing? How's it going? Uh, parents are talking to their son or daughter about how their schooling is going or how the sports are going or how something they're watching on TV is going. Gaming is no different. You know, engaging with them, making sure that they feel like you have a vested interest in, in what's going on is very impactful. And we treat it the same way here at university. We make sure that the students, no matter what game that they're playing, they feel valued, that they've got an opportunity to connect with folks on campus, that they've got an opportunity to extend that friend group, whether it's in person or online. And really building those relationships has, uh, ha has helped them out quite a bit. I don't think it ne necessarily lessens the amount of time that they play but it gives them more resources uh, outside of the game to really rely on uh, so that they're not, they're not just living in, in that one world. And that's it for now. Stay happy and healthy, and we'll see you again next week. That was This Week in Tech with Gene Destro. Tune in next week for more tech news on 93.5-1590-WAKR and WAKR.net.